You're listening to Screenwriters Need to Hear This with Michael Jamin. Hey, everyone. Welcome back to Screenwriters Need to Hear This. I'm Michael Jamin. I'm here with Phil Hudson. Hello, Phil. Hey, everybody. Good to be back. Phil is back. And today we're doing an Ask Me Anything. And I thought it, all the questions were going to be personal and intimate, but instead they're all screenwriting. So, all right. That'll, that'll do. There, there are a couple, General. You're good. We'll, <laughs> we'll, we'll get into what kind of underwear you wear. It's just one of the questions yeah. we get out. Yeah. No, no, no one has that, I promise. Okay. Uh, yeah. So what I've done today, so a little bit different format than what we've done in the past, is I broke the questions out into kind of three or four sections. So we'll get through everything we can. If it merits enough time to do and split this into part two, we'll do that. Um, I think one thing for everybody who's listening, just make sure you're, you're subscribing to Michael or you follow him on Instagram because whenever we post the blue screenwriters need to hear this tile, that's how you know that it's an opportunity to get your questions asked. And we get a lot of repeat questions from people, which is great, but it is an opportunity for you to get your questions asked directly from Michael right on the podcast. So uh, make sure you're following him there and look out for that tile. Uh, let's start it off with our, with our homeboy, Dave Crossman. He's been around the OG. He's actually, and I think we talked about this, he is literally the first person to buy your course. Yeah, I have a screenwriting course. And, yeah, it was, wasn't even on sale. We hadn't. We were just like we were testing. tinkering. We are testing it. We got a sale and it was Crossman. Yeah, <laughs> so Crossman's been around. He's a super talented writer, so um, always good questions. I thought this was uh, really interesting. So a little bit long, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go through it, and if I need to repeat it, let me know. I've been told that half-hour sitcom page lengths determine the intended distribution. For example, 30 pages is appropriate for broadcast, while 40 pages is appropriate for streaming, and that the intended distribution also determines the kind of content that is preferable. So for example, broadcast requires broad humor like Brooklyn Nine-Nine, while streaming prefers scripts with a more specific content and humor focus, and often like heavier emotions like Barry. Is there any merit to this kind of advice or is it just complicating the process? It's probably complicating things. First of all, when you say 30 pages, he's talking about single spaced, single camera, uh, a single yeah. camera formatting. And so even 30 would be long, even if it was a multi, even if it's a, uh, sorry, uh, a network TV show, you'd, you'd want to, your script should be shorter than longer. Cause the first thing anyone who reads your script is going to do is going to flip to the back page and how long do I have to read this thing? So shorter is definitely better. Um, so, you know, I'm talking about mid to upper twenties, probably depending on the show, you, you know, uh, and then in terms of, um, and, and yes, you could have more time, like on a network, there are more time constraints because they have to run commercials. Whereas a streamer, there's, they usually give you a window that you have to hit. And so you can go a little longer in a streamer, but to be honest, again, it's a writing sample. No one wants to read longer, even if it is intended for a streaming service, a Netflix or whatever, it's still just a writing sample. No one, whoever, no whoever's reading it doesn't want to, would write, just get the, they want to get it over with already. They just, it's a sample to see if you can write and, and they bring you in for a meeting and hopefully, you know, maybe hear a pitch on something else. So I always say shorter is better, regardless of what, whether it's intending for streamers or network. And the second question is, uh, does the, I guess the content have to be a little more focused or less broad? Yeah, I suppose. I mean, you know, broadcast is for a, a broader audience, whereas on a streamer, you can have it's more niche and and generally they generally look for edgier uh, content. You know, I hate the word content, but edgier material. Um, and so, yeah. But does that determine the amount of the, the way you write it? I, you know, 
I, I don't know. I mean, it, I guess it's just a little more specific. You know, I wish I had a better answer for that for Crossman over here, but um, I, I can cite some feedback you gave me. So mm -hmm. the episode 33 last March, if anyone wants to check it out, you give me notes on, on a pilot that I wrote and you can go read that pilot. And your notes were, this is a B plus and this would play on CBS, but if you want to be on cable, you mm -hmm. need to be uh, less specific. And I guess it was, it was less on the nose maybe, um, less, mm -hmm. less tell more show. Um, mm -hmm. So I don't know if yeah. that ne necessarily speaks to tone. However, for example, you know, including language, including violence, including you can do a lot more with a cable type script than you yeah. can. And I, I get the feeling that the perception is that type of writing is more demonstrative of your capability as a writer and good, considered good writing than just writing something that would show up on broadcast. Would you? Well, I, I don't, I don't think broadcast is bad or anything. I just think it's, it's edgier to be on non-broadcast. When we broadcast, you got to think of it a lot of these shows are intended to be watched with your family. So fa the whole, everyone can, even the children, they can all sit down and enjoy it together, right? And when you're writing for a streamer, you don't necessarily have to worry about that. And so you, 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 can, you can make your content a little edgy, content, your material a little edgier. You can make it uh, a little grittier and it doesn't have to be so neat and it doesn't have to be, I mean, there's a little more freedom in the way you can write. Um, you know, I was watching a, um, I mean, take like, take like um, Goodwill, Goodwill Hunting, so we talk about writing directly and versus indirectly. And so uh, that's a really good example. Like Matt Damon's character never comes out and says what his problem is or what he doesn't, uh, you know, why he doesn't want to be in therapy or why he, why he's fine. Like he doesn't come out and say, I don't want to do, I don't want to be here. I don't, he never says it. He, he says it without saying it. So instead he goes to Robin Williams' office, he kind of screws with him a little bit and he doesn't answer his questions. He evades it by being a smart ass. And so- you're saying it without saying it. Whereas often, if you're doing a more of a broadcast show, you kind of want to say it so that so that Junior could follow along as well. You know? Gotcha, gotcha. That's our like third reference to Goodwill Hunting, by the way. It's, uh, oh, it's such super, a fantastic super, movie. So impactful. So impactful yeah. for me personally. Okay. Um, anything else you want to add to that in terms of um, you know thinking about writing for those other platforms? I mean, there's samples, and I think one thing you do talk about mm -hmm. in your course that I think was really helpful for people is you talk about having different samples of different styles. So, right, you want to write, if so let's say you're writing adult animation, right? Sure, you're going to be really broad, like Family Guy, or you're going to be really specific, you know, more Bojack Horseman, like mm -hmm. real world just happened to be set in the world with animals. So you talk about, like, having different samples in your, in your yeah. cachet, if you will. Is that and one thing I talk about in the course, really, is that like you'd break both stories the same way, whether it's for a network or for a stream, you'd really break it. It's just a matter of how you execute it in terms of how you write it after the outline, you know, once you get to the outline stage. But on the board, they're kind of, the way I do it, they're pretty much identical. Got it. Cool. Uh, moving on, again, these are craft questions. Uh, 51 Lego underscore. How necessary is it to establish main characters in the first episode? Is it problematic to wait a couple before focusing on who the story is about as the audience doesn't get as connected with the characters yet? Yeah, it's a huge problem. I mean, in your pilot, you're, you're establishing the world and the characters in it. And if you want to, you can't wait until episode three. What are people watching? And what happens to the old characters? No, no, you got to come right out of the gate. These are, this is the world. These are the characters in the world. That's like non-negotiable. 
I, I, I think it's non-negotiable. Well, I think it also speaks to, and I don't know that it's necessarily bad exercise, but your job is writing pilots to sell a pilot. I think it, I'm kind of learning that it's a mistake to invest eight episodes of a fake series oh, yeah. that will never be made. And so if it's yeah. part of your practice to make sure you understand how to tell a complete story, sure. But you're not going to go out of the gate and sell three, four, five episodes of this thing. And it could happen. I shouldn't say not. But it's most likely not going to happen. Mm -hmm. So the very exercise is kind of a, a, an act of futility because you should be writing other pilots. You should be giving yeah. yourself more at -bats. It's funny you say that because I was going to do a whole – someone mentioned this, had a question about this a couple of days ago. And I was going to do a whole post on it because like. I think this person was an author and they were hoping, you know, they have the pilot and that was all the way through the end of the series written. And it's like, you're wasting your, I feel you're wasting your time. Uh, just write one episode, one pilot episode, and then move on to write another pilot episode. Because if it sells, don't worry, you'll get a whole writing staff and you'll be able to figure out the whole season. You don't need to do it now. Yeah. I, I think I've seen in produced shows where they do introduce a character in like episode two. And my feeling is, and maybe you know, my feeling is that that's because the network or the studio, whoever decided to put it on air, said, we need this type of character or we need this. They found a problem with the pilot. And this is the way to fix that by introducing some other character. Oh, I mean, on. it happens for sure. You take like Lost. I mean, there was there were the characters, you know, in the first episode. And then you and discover, then oh, here's other dynamics work better. And these characters aren't really that great. And then you find it. But, you know, the intention is to introduce everybody. And then, of course, you have to build up as you run out of stories and you have to create more plot lines, you have to bring more characters in, but no, your characters should be in the, in the pilot episode. Perfect. Uh, Saved underscore Danchez. Uh, it's not misspelling, by the way. Is it acceptable to write morning or afternoon in the slug line or should the general day and night be used to indicate the time? Is, also, is it better to use same or continuous when, you, when using multiple slug lines for one long scene? All right, so these are formatting things, but you write whatever you need to write. I mean, if you write interior uh, or what, let's say, you know, exterior street morning is not the same thing as exterior street day. In the morning, the extras are going to be sipping coffee. They're going to be holding a paper. They're going to be walking, you know, to, the, to their office places. If it's lunch, if it's day, the sun is going to be higher in the sky. People aren't going to be sipping coffee. They're going to be, you know, whatever. Background's going to be different. The lighting's going to be different. So you got to write. You got to describe the scene, however, whatever the scene is, you know. So don't worry about. Yeah, you know the the, make the first eighty morning make a morning. The first eighty is going to solve that problem for you when he goes when he or she goes through the script and they make decisions about what day we're in and what time it mm -hmm. is and what how, what our shooting schedule is. So you don't need to worry about that. Like they'll they'll take care of that on the. Time but you got to put it in the script whether it's morning or afternoon. What what's up to you as the writer? Yeah. Uh, What's the second part? What was the second part? Uh, is it better to use the same, the, use same oh. or continuous when you're you describing one long scene? It just, it's whatever it's convenient to you, you know? Stylistically, uh, right? It's a style. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Interior house, the same. I mean, yeah, it, it, there's no passage of time. So you could might as well write the same if there's no passage of time. Yeah. I would also say, I think it's your job as the writer to be as clear as possible. And so mm -hmm. if it, whatever you put should make it, so there's, it shouldn't be confusing to the reader. Yeah. So Make as long easy. as we understand what we're doing, you're doing your job. Yeah. Or what right. we're seeing. Cool. Yeah. All right. Uh, Cyan Taylor, if you out, if you outline at all, how detailed do you go into outlining or planning whatever you're working on before you start writing? Kevin, I used to jump straight into writing with sudden bursts of inspiration. 
I'd avoid outlining at all costs and write off vibes and, and inevitably get lost along the way. Only recently have I fallen passionately in love with outlining. Yeah, you got to outline. I mean, I, I, to be honest with you, like, every time we write, we sit down, we outline. If you're going to be, if you want to work in television or even film, you have to learn how to outline because no writer is going to be, you're not going to be sent off on script and the, the showrunner is not going to say, yeah, hey, write whatever you want to write. No, no, no. You're writing the outline and the outline is decided upon in the room. We know what the scenes are, what, what the beats are. We've all agreed on it. So you're not going to go off, off, off the reservation. You're not going to go off the map and do something crazy. No, you have to learn. And you have to learn how to outline. You have to learn how to stick to it. Um, in terms of discovering, no, I, I mean, I understand why this person didn't want to do it in the beginning because it's so, it kind of takes the organic part out of the process. But if you want to work in TV, it, it, you know, you can't just, the problem is if you think you're going to find the story, chances are you're never even going to hit on the story unless you really have a clear map. Even now when I write, as we talk about, you know, my collection of personal essays, that was the rare occasion. That's the rare occasion where I don't outline, where I disc I write I have an idea and I start writing, I start writing, but it's so inefficient. It's such a wasteful way to do it. I do it because it's my own writing. I don't, I'm not on schedule. I don't have to answer anybody. But that way, when I'm writing without an outline, halfway through the story, I'm like, if there's no story, I have to go back and I, I usually you know, trash the idea or I hope to discover the story. And once I discover the story, I got to go back and rewrite the hell out of it. It's not efficient, but it's organic. Uh, but in TV, and no, you gotta. It doesn't work that way. TV is much more collaborative, so you have to write. You you would never go off without an outline. Yeah, I think the if there's anything that you've brought into screenwriting, podcasting, or screenwriting, social media, um, mm -hmm. it's awareness of the process. Right, there is an actual process that writers follow. If you go to a writer's room, the process is more or less going to be the same. You're going mm -hmm. to figure out what your story you're telling. You're going to break the story. You're going to outline the story. You're going to you're going to do all of those steps. And I think too often, a lot of people, you know, some people who are, in my opinion, younger, they, they feel constrained by the rules and they don't want to, they don't want to be mm -hmm. formulaic. And that's like a big conversation I hear all the time. But I think what you're saying is there's a process. And if your job is, if your goal is to be a professional writer, even if you have mm -hmm. aspirations of being a top mega super showrunner like a J.J. Abrams, you still have to understand this process. And once you go through this process and you understand it, then you can tweak things and you can change it and make it your own process. But it is all built on this foundation of the process that yeah. professional writers use. Yeah, yeah. We all okay. do it. Yeah. All right. Uh, follow up to that. When outlining, is there a specific structure you use to stay on track or do you just inherently know? No, I mean, that's what we teach in the course is... is story structure. So there is always the same, it's, it's a structure. It's not, again, that's not to say it's formulaic. It's just knowing what kind of beats for the act break, what the act break moments are, what the middle of act two is. And, and if you don't have these moments in, in your story, uh, you, you'll, you'll, you'll notice it. I watched a movie a couple nights ago, uh, on a streamer and, uh, it was like an indie and these moments were lacking and you felt it, you felt it. You felt like it was getting boring. It was getting slow. And so, you just need it. I just had an experience. Uh, I wonder if we watched the same show. Netflix <laughs> show? <laughs> I don't want to say. I'll say off the air. Uh, yeah, I'll text say me. off the air. Text yeah. Me. Um, yeah, awesome. Uh, moving on. Denzi pops in LA. How do you get into the head of each character as you write, especially when it is a character of someone else's creation? That's your job. 
I mean, I, every show I've written on has been created by somebody else. So, uh, for example, when I got hired on King of the Hill, I watched, I got hired on season five. So I watched all see all of season four or either read every episode or watched every episode of King of the Hill so that I could get the voices in my head of all the characters. They have a specific way of talking and it helps to really to imitate them. On King of the Hill, when, in, when you're in the writer's room, you always imitated Hank or Bobby. You'd say it the way, you you know, you talk the way Bobby would talk. And, you know, dang it, Dale, you talk the way Hank would talk to get the rhythm so that you could, uh, you know, embody the character. So don't be afraid to say these to imitate the character's voice out loud. Hey, it's Michael Jammin. If you like my videos and you want me to email them to you for free, join my watch list. Every Friday, I send out my top three videos. These are for writers, actors, creative types. You can unsubscribe whenever you want. I'm not gonna spam you, and it's absolutely free. Just go to michaeljammin.com slash watchlist. Aging Jay, once you have your main plot points, how do you begin to flesh out in between the in between so it all feels tight and every scene has a point? Yeah, well, every scene has to have a point, and and, we, and again, we talk, we teach that all in the screenwriters course. Uh, um, but yeah, if a scene, if a scene can be cut, if you can remove the scene from your from your teleplayer movie, uh, and the story still holds together. You you haven't done your job. It's a bad scene. It, you know every scene has to have a purpose, and the character's attitude at the top of the scene must be different by the end of the scene. And if it's not, what's the scene for? Is it because you just want to do a scene at a carnival? Well, that's not good enough. You have to have there has to be a reason. The characters have to change uh, in some small way. And so, yeah, unpacking all that that's it's a good that's a great question. That's what we teach, but that's it's so it's so critical. You know, yeah. Yeah, I'm trying to remember. It might have been like episode 34, 35, uh, where you talk about fractals. Um, mm -hmm. I think that's yeah. worth listening to, right? With how everything is a sum of the, the whole is a sum of the parts, right? Like yes. If you think of a movie, it has a shape to it. And then if you think of a scene in that movie, it, all, it has the similar shape. And if you think of a, a line, it can also have the similar shape, but you're just expanding. And that's a fractal. And so if you look, a fractal is an example of, like if you look at a tree, a tree has branches on it. But if you look on the branch, the branches also have branches coming out. And then if you look at the leaves, on the back of the leaves, you'll see the veins of the leaf also have branches coming out. And that's a fractal. And that's kind of like how you're repeating these uh, shapes over and over again, in, even in your storytelling. Yeah, I loved that podcast, that episode. Go check that out. Uh, Wolfen, how do you practice deliberately to become a better writer? Well, you have to write. I mean, that's really the only way of doing it is to sit down and write and write and write. And uh, it could be a long journey. And so this could be your life's journey, unfortunately. And so it doesn't mean you're going to, you know, so many people want to come out of the gate. Hey, here's a script. Hire me. It's like, well, but if you're scripted, if you're not a good writer yet, you're not going to get hired. You understand that, right? I mean, and so it's a long, long journey. Uh, and hopefully it's rewarding. But um, yeah, you got to put your butt in the chair and just write every day. And, and I would say, don't worry about refining your 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 whatever you're working on draft after draft just write your movie set it aside and write a second one and then a third one and your fifth movie is going to be better than the first it just is so stop mm -hmm. polishing that first movie and move on and the same someone left a comment the other day saying they you know they struggle when they write their uh they're writing a piece and they were they spent so much time in that first paragraph getting it just perfect 
And it's like, is that normal? And it's like, it is normal. It's just not good. And I've done the same thing myself. You're, you're making it absolutely perfect. But meanwhile, it, when you get halfway through the piece, you're going to realize, oh, you know what? I got to rewrite that whole first page anyway. It's all, it's all different. So don't waste your time getting it all perfect. Just get it out there. And then you can put another coat, another coat, then put it aside and move on and look at it with fresh eyes in the future. Yeah, and I'll add to that. If you feel, I think that comes from a fear that you'll never be able to write anything else, right? Mm -hmm. Or this is the only thing you have. Well, you are correct, unless you write something else. Right. So yeah. write something else. Right. That's your job. Cool. Uh, official Cody Ledoux, or Ledois, I don't speak Le French. Ledois. Uh, yeah. What's uh, the difference in writing for a multi-camp show versus a one-camp show or single-camp? Well, uh, there's, there's this uh, structure-wise, very similar in terms of the story structure. It's very similar, but you have certain restraints. On a multi-camera show, everything's shot live on a soundstage in front of an audience. So on the soundstage, you're not going to have a lot of room for different sets. You're going to have a standing set that's there every week, uh, you know, and then you're going to have room for a couple of what they call swing sets that you, you can build them a new set this week. There's room, but you don't have a ton of room. So, uh, you know, for let's say just shoot me. The standing set was the bullpen, the office where the, everyone worked. Then there was uh, uh, Jack's office to the left of that. We, all, we That was always up. And then Nina's office was always on the right. And that was it, right? Those are the three standing sets. And then sometimes we had room, we always had room for swing sets, which we'd built. So maybe it would be like a restaurant we're going to, or, uh, you know, a theater or whatever where the characters are going to, but you only have room for like two or three of those on the set on the stage. So when you're breaking your story, keep in mind, you don't have a lot of room. You can't have a million sets. Whereas a, multi a single camera show, you can have far more because often you're shooting those on location. Uh, if you, Sometimes you're shooting on a soundstage, but often you go on location. So you can open it up a little bit more. There's also... Uh, Multi-camera shows also feel a little more like live theater because you, you have the audience there. So you tend, the actors tend to get a little bigger, kind of playing it for the laugh. Uh, so you usually want put more jokes on a pay, on, on the page for a, a multi-camera show. Not necessarily though, just depends on the show versus a single camera. Yeah, awesome. Um, yeah, and it seems like there's a resurgence of uh, multi-cam. Is there? Right now. That's I haven't. They always say that, and they never put them any, put on the air. But <laughs> there you go. Maybe I'm just reading the the trades too much. All right. I am Chris McClure. How do you and your partner split the writing once the story is broken? Do you each take scenes, write the scenes together, one type, one pace? We've answered this before, but I thought it was yeah. worth bringing up because it comes up quite often. Yeah, it just depends on the partnership. Some some partners, I'll do Act Two. You do Act One. But the way my partner and I do it, we literally sit in the same room. We have a monitor, a computer with two monitors on it. And so we literally act out the scenes together. Every scene that we write, we do it together. And so that's just how we do it. Um, but you could do it any way you want to do it with your partner. But I, I would assume that, you know, rewriting your partner's work without their permission or without them in the room might be a little, I know it's people who do it, but it seems like a recipe to piss somebody off. Yeah, I've, I've heard a successful screenwriting um, partnership that does a lot of stuff and they assign scenes in order odds evens and mm -hmm. they write one senate the other one rewrites it adds their scene the other person rewrites the other two so by the end by the time they're done they've rewritten it like 20 times uh but that's just comes from trust of being professional yeah. together for years and years my bosses uh, brad buckner and eugenie L ross lemming my first bosses that i work for that's how they did it they would trade 
they you know alternate scenes but um that's not how we do it you know yeah awesome uh leaf the leaf edits how much detail do you typically put in a scene description or an action uh, a character is doing i've seen scripts with barely any and some that have more is it dependent on drama versus comedy I say the less the better because no one wants to read those uh, uh, you know, direct stage directions. They're just no one reads them. I don't read them. I'll skip right over them. Uh, and so I feel like the, the shorter you can make it, the better. If you have to make it longer, make it interesting to read so that you know maybe throw a joke in there or make it write it in such a way that people. But that's hard. Write it in such a way that makes people want to read it, if, especially if it's a, a mystery or a thriller. Maybe you want to you, you can jazz it up by. And then he walks down the he walks down the corner. Is that is that a noise? He's, he you know he halts in his you know whatever. You can you can write it in such a way that maybe it makes it compelling to uh, to read. But uh, when in doubt, I say shorter. Yeah, I think you. My first spec that you ever I wrote and sent to you, you referred to it as flowery um, descriptions. Right? Yeah, and you can. Yeah. The first time I sat down the screener on the software, I sat down and I was like. Describing what was in the room, like I would if it was a novel, and it's just like totally unnecessary. It's no, just, you don't need to do that, right? There's you whole know. departments that do that. Yeah, let them do it. You, you could say it's a dimly lit, sparsely a, a dimly lit, sparse room. You'd only yeah. describe what what you absolutely need. If there's a if there's an axe in the corner of the room, and that axe is going to come into play, yeah, you, know, you know, later in the scene, then you might want to set it up. Say, you know, yeah, Chekhov's gun, right? Yeah. If there's a gun. If there's a gun in the in the first act, it needs to go off in the third act. Right? Yeah, right. It but don't put it there if it's not going to go off. You know, we don't need to know about it. Yeah, it's just a detail we're keeping in our head. Cool. Uh, this is my last craft question. We can move into professional questions if you want. Uh, Wendy H. Morgan, can you talk about how to find the funny in your writing? Uh, yeah. I mean, that's hard. That's um, one thing I say. You know, in 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 the course that we have. There's a module on joke writing and and and, uh, and you know finding humor, but I'm I'm pretty upfront that I don't think hum comedy can be taught. I don't think you could be taught to be funny. I think whatever level you're at, I could probably get you a little higher. I could show you the tricks that I use to get you a little funnier. But if you're not funny, I can't teach you how to be funny, and I don't think anybody can. I think they're just trying to get money out of you. Um, personally, what I do as a comedy writer, I. I'm able to access uh, the child in me pretty easily. And so uh, children, that's why a lot of my humor is very mature, but children are very black and white. They see things black and white as opposed to gray. They don't learn gray. Gray, gray has to be learned. Uh, and so children are also very literal. The very, the very first joke I ever made was like I was a baby in the crib. And I don't remember, my, but my, mom, my, my mother reminds me of it. She said, oh, Michael, you're so handsome. And I held up my hands like that because I, I heard some hands. She said, handsome, I heard some hands. That's literal. And she laughed and everyone laughed, you know. Um, the second joke I made, I was, uh, honestly, I was only a couple, I was like a year, or, this one I remember, I was probably three or four, whatever. And uh, somehow we're at a party and somehow, because family gathering, I walk into the room carrying a copy of Playboy magazine and I'm a little, a little boy. And it's open to the centerfold. And everyone sees this and everyone's aghast, right? And then all eyes turn to my mother. How is she going to handle this one? And uh, and uh, my mother wanted to play cool. She didn't want to traumatize me. So she goes, Michael, what is that woman wearing? And so I look at the centerfold, look at my mom, 
look back at the centerfold and I go, earrings. Because that's all she was wearing was freaking earrings. And everyone lost it. But I wasn't trying to be funny. I was just being literal. What was she wearing? That's the only thing she was wearing was earrings. Yeah. Uh, so I did, I'm able, if uh, that's what I see it, I, I'm able to access and I'm always thinking of, and it can be annoying. I could be definitely a little annoying. And so I don't, you know, the, you know, people who are always on, they're always pitching jokes and you never oh, get yeah. to know this person because they're always on. It's like, dude, just relax. I I can do that. I don't want to, because I find it so annoying. But whenever I'm, when I'm driving the car, I'm thinking, what's funny about that? What's funny about that? What's funny about that? And so, uh, it's just like an exercise I do. And I don't say it out loud because it's so freaking annoying, but it's almost just like this itch that I have to scratch or else, uh, you know, we were driving to, um, we were driving to, uh, Arizona. It's a couple weeks ago to visit my uncle. And, uh, there's part of it by Palms, Palm Springs. You're driving, is it Palm Springs? You're driving, there's yeah. these giant windmills, giant windmills. Yeah. It's like right? Palm, Palm Desert, where did you go? On That's what it is. Right. Yeah. So these giant windmills generating electricity. And I'm, first I'm thinking, I'm thinking it's so freaking hot here. They have to have giant fans to cool off the place, <laughs> you know? But like, I'm not saying any of this because it's so freaking annoying. But that's what's going, it's my thing in my mind. I'm thinking, oh, fans to cool it off because it's so hot here. Uh, but but that's how I, um, that's just how I approach it. And there's other tricks that I talk about. But again, I don't promise I can make you funny. I could, I could just make you a little funnier. And there's certain things that we as comedy writers do uh, to make things a little funnier and I go through the list but uh those are those are a few all right so at this point I think we're going to split into two but we've got a ton of questions left so um next step or the next episode is going to be professional questions uh some aspirational questions and then a general question that came in uh so definitely worth sticking around for those uh Michael thank you for being here thanks for having us everyone yeah. go follow Michael at Michael Jamin Ryder on social media uh, a couple of free things or things you should know about. We do offer a free lesson, the first lesson of the course Michael's been talking about. That's available at michaeljammon.com slash free. Also, his course that he's mentioned a couple of times goes from michaeljammon.com slash course. Uh, go check those out. Um, the course, when this comes out, might be closed, so just keep that in mind. Um, we've moved to a uh, almost like a uh, an enrollment period because it's just the demand on time for you and for me and for the support staff it's just taking up a ton of time when we onboard so many people at once so we're going to split that up a little bit so if it's not there go sign up and you can get uh, notified when it does open up um there's the watch list you can get your top three pieces of content every week uh, delivered in your inbox on fridays at michaeljammer.com slash watch and then your paper orchestra um you're not currently touring right but you, uh, no, we're making the we're we're actually making the ebook now. I got to talk to you more about that when we get off the <laughs> when we get off the call. Uh, yeah, that'll be that'll be coming out hopefully this summer. My book it'll be dropping as an ebook, uh, a, a paperback, and and an audio book, and then they'll start touring again. And so if they want awesome. people want to be notified when any of those are ready, you can go to michaeljammon.com slash upcoming and just put your email there. Great. Anything else, Michael? That's it. I'm excited for part two. All right, of enjoy this Q&A. The next one. Okay, thanks everyone. This has been an episode of Screenwriters Need to Hear This with Michael Jamin and Phil Hudson. If you'd like to support this podcast, please consider subscribing, leaving a review, and sharing this podcast with someone who needs to hear today's subject. For free daily screenwriting tips, follow Michael on Instagram, Facebook, and TikTok at Michael Jamin Writer. You can follow me on Instagram, Facebook, and TikTok at Phil A. Hudson. This episode was produced by Phil Hudson and edited by Dallas Crane. Until next time, keep writing.